hear the word of God from a selection of poems of lament on the scroll of lamentations. Jerusalem, once so full of people, is now deserted. She who was once great among the nations now sits alone like a widow. Once the queen of all the earth, she's now a slave. She sobs through the night, tears stream down her cheeks. The roads to Jerusalem are in mourning for crowds no longer come to celebrate the festivals. The city gates are silent, her priests groan, her young women are crying. How bitter is her fate. From the second poem of Lament in chapter two. The Lord in his anger has cast a dark shadow over, the beautiful, over beautiful Jerusalem. The fairest of Israel's cities lies in the dust, thrown down from the heights of heaven. In his day of great anger, the Lord has shown no mercy, even to his temple. From the third poem on the scroll. I am the one who has seen the afflictions that come from the rod of the Lord's anger. He has led me into darkness, shutting out all light. He has turned his hand against me again and again, all day long. Peace has been stripped away, and I've forgotten what prosperity is. I cry out, my splendor is gone. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. And it is good for people to submit at an early age to the yoke of his discipline. Let them sit alone in silence beneath the Lord's demands. Let them lie face down in the dust, for there may be hope at last. Let them turn the other cheek to those who strike them and accept the insults of their enemies. For no one is abandoned by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he also shows compassion because of the greatness of his unfailing love. <clears throat> For he does not enjoy hurting people or causing them sorrow. If people crush underfoot all the prisoners of the land, if they deprive others of their rights in defiance of the Most High, if they twist justice in the courts, doesn't the Lord see all these things? Who can command things to happen without the Lord's permission? Does not the Most High send both calamity and good? Then why should we, mere humans, complain when we are punished for our sins. Instead, let us test and examine our ways. Let us turn back to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven and say, we have sinned and rebelled, and you have not forgiven us. You have engulfed us with your anger, chased us down, and slaughtered us without mercy. You have hidden us in a cloud, so our prayers cannot reach you. You have discarded us as refuse and garbage among the nations. 
All our enemies have spoken out against us. We are filled with fear, for we are trapped, devastated, and ruined. Tears stream from my eyes because of the destruction of my people. My tears flow endlessly. They will not stop until the Lord looks down from heaven and sees. My heart is breaking over the fate of all the women of Jerusalem. My enemies, whom I have never harmed, hunted me down like a bird. They threw me into a pit and dropped stones on me. The water rose over my head, and I cried out, This is the end. But I called on your name, Lord, from deep within the pit. You heard me when I cried. Listen to my pleading. Hear my cry for help. Yes, you came when I called. You told me, do not fear. Lord, you have come to my defense. You have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong they have done to me, Lord. Be my judge and prove me right. And to chapter 5, the final words of the scroll. Lord, remember what has happened to us. See how we have been disgraced. Joy has left our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning. For Jerusalem is empty and desolate, a place haunted by jackals. But Lord, you remain the same forever. Your throne continues from generation to generation. Why do you continue to forget us? Why have you abandoned us for so long? Restore us, O Lord, and bring us back to you again. Give us back the joys we once had. Or have you utterly rejected us? Are you angry with us still? This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Stephen. Well, Merry Christmas and (laughs) Happy New Year. (laughs) There's a lot of hope in that passage, but there's also a lot of sadness. And at Waypoint, we we take from a lot of different Christian traditions in our, we almost think of ourselves as multi-denominational, or we just, there's 2,000 years of church history. And one tradition, every year at New Year's, likes to do what they call a covenant renewal. This comes from John Wesley and Charles Wesley, and, and thinking about what it would mean to, for us as we prepare our hearts for the new year to, to renew the covenant that we made with God and to remember His faithfulness to, despite of our sinfulness, of our brokenness. Can I, can you get me some water? I totally forgot. All our team is not here today. So just, just, I'm Danny, one of the pastors here. Uh, I wasn't even supposed to be preaching this morning. Uh, Pastor Lawrence, be in prayer for him and his family. He actually, uh, his, his parents are in Korea right now and, and his dad's took a turn for the worse and is, is pretty sick. So just, just continue to be in prayer for, for Lawrence and, and his family as they, uh, as he trusts God with this. Um, and then Ben has COVID and a lot of people are sick today. So it's, I'm, I'm glad I get to preach this sermon again. We pre- I preached on Lamentations four years ago. And when Lawrence asked me to preach this morning, I prayed about it and I said, God, what would be good for us to hear? And learning what biblical lament is, is, is good for me. So let's, let's learn what biblical lament is. So this morning, is, this sermon is broke up into three parts. The first one is, thank you. What is biblical lament? The second part's going to be what is lamentations? Where does it fit into the big picture of God's redemptive plan? And what is the lament that Stephen just read this morning? 
And then how can we practice lament today as followers of Jesus? Now, lament is very important in the Bible, but it was something that's kind of new to me. I don't know why, just the various Christian traditions I grew up in in America didn't teach lament, didn't talk about it, even though it's about two-thirds of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. I didn't know, I'd never even heard the word really until other than in the title of Lamentations. And about 10 years ago, I began to study it a little more. And really about four years ago, when I preached that sermon on Lamentations and did some research, I, I began to realize how important lament is to us as Christians. So this morning, because I didn't have a lot of time to prepare, and I found two amazing articles online. One is, was from Tish Harrison Warren. She's an Anglican priest, theologian, and she wrote an article called Those Who Weep. And it's excerpts from her book, Prayers in the Night. The, the article was amazing, so I'm sure the book, Prayers in the Night, I think Erica, my wife's read it, but it's, it's probably amazing just because of, and, and I will post these articles. And then another, another pastor out of California and theologian, Dr. Glenn Pacium, wrote an article called Five Things to Know About Lament. So this morning I'm gonna share the five things, but actually it's, it's gonna be seven and a half things because I added a couple. <laughs> so it's mostly, this, the first part of this sermon is mostly the words of, of Warren and, and Pacquiam, but also some of the stuff that God, I just prayed about this as I was preparing and, and a little bit of it is mine. So five things to know about lament. So Pacquiam says this, in fact, it's part of the Christian vocation not to be able to explain. It's part of being a Christian is not to be able to explain things. Paradox. That's, I know we are post-enlightenment Westerners. We think there's an answer for everything. But if you look at the way the, the Bible's presented to us, that's not how it's presented. There's, we're supposed to sit and wrestle. Actually, the Old Testament, the the, the main narrative, the main way the Old Testament is given to us is what would be called contemplative Hebrew literature. Like it's, you come to it and you meditate on it and you contemplate on it. And Lamentations is, is one of those places where we really come and sit and rest. What exactly is a lament? Is it a gripe session? Is it venting? Is it a synonym for grief? The book of Psalms, the ancient collection of Psalms and prayers for the people who were no strangers to suffering can guide us in this practice. So first point, lament is a form of praise. That's weird. Do you know that two thirds of the Psalms are laments? And they're, most of the time when they're called laments, it's a praise. Now, I know as Americans, we like to pull ourselves by our bootstraps and folks put away the bad stuff and just focus on the good. And, but that's not the way our faith is presented to us. Our faith is presented as the world is broken and sinful and we can praise God through trusting him and identifying the brokenness. The problem is, is too many times we equate lament with complaints. And we think that the two words are interchangeable. But then the scriptures, complain and lament are different. I'll give you a, a context. When the Israelites were wandering around in the desert and they were like, we don't have the, we, we want to go back to Egypt. That's not a lament. That's a complaint. <laughs> they were rescued and now they want to go back. Their complaints were literally putting God on trial. 
testing God. But in the Psalms, the correct way is Israel asks God to answer according to his unfailing love because he is a God of justice and righteousness and because he has been faithful in the past. And even in their sin and their brokenness, a lament is crying out and saying, okay, God, we trust your justice, we trust your righteousness, but please do something. And in contrast to Israel in the wilderness with Israel in worship, it's not a complaint against God, but it's trusting in his character. A lament is an appeal to God based on the confidence in his character. That's from, now this is from Warren. By praying the songs year after year for 3,000 years in nearly every language and every place on earth, the church learns to remain alive in every uncomfortable and complex human emotion. We learn to celebrate and we learn to lament. Songs of lament, both communal and individual, voice disappointment, anger, sadness, pain, deep confusion and loss. If our gathered worship expressions is only victory and renewal, we're not being honest with the brokenness of the world. Now we do pray, we want victory, we want renewal. One day Jesus will, God, the Bible ends in Revelation with, with the renewal of all things, but it also tells us that in the brokenness, we have to have a way to deal with this. And the Psalms definitely help us deal with this. Theologian J. Todd Billings was studying Augustine, St. Augustine or St. Augustine. There's two ways to pronounce it. In seminary, they called him Augustine, so I don't, I don't know why, but the city in Florida is St. Augustine. So we'll call him Augustine because that's what my seminary professor said. He saw the Psalms in this way. God's way of reshaping, and we'll put this up on the board, God's way of reshaping our desires and perceptions so that we learn to lament and the right things and take joy in the right things. So if you, if you lose track of anything else I say today, remember this. In 2024, I hope that you learn to lament in the right things and take joy in the right things. When we wake up every morning, we can look at the sadness and we have Apple News and CNN and all these apps. You can see all the sadness, but then you, or you could just focus on the fun stuff where you know, watch, what are they called, reels of happy things, you know. They're both there. There's a lot of joy in the world and there's a lot of suffering. So learning to lament and coming to the Psalms and, and what would it mean as a Christian is, is how do we learn to lament in the right things and take joy in the right things? Lament can be praise even though our culture would fight against that. Number two, lament is proof of the relationship. The fact that we can bring these things to God is proof that we're in relationship with God. Tim Keller used to say that, you know, the most powerful leaders on earth, kings, emperors, of, of all, who ever lived, really only the kids have direct access. Even the wives, they were disposable to a lot of leaders in history, right? I mean, Henry VIII and others. But the kids had direct access. They could literally sit on their dad's lap, you know, and they could complain and talk and have this dialogue. And the fact that we have a God who lets us come to him and lament and say, hey, I'm angry about the brokenness of the world. I'm angry about the sin of my own heart. I'm angry, I'm confused. It's a good thing. 
That's the God of love. That's the God of justice. That's the God of mercy. That's the God who came down as Christ. That's the God who we celebrate at Christmas. And the fact that we can lament shows that we're in a relationship with God. Warren says this, lament is, a proof, is an expression of sorrow. To learn to lament is to learn to weep. But it's more than that. In the lament poems of the Old Testament, the psalmist and the poets hold God to his own promises. So we're saying, God, you promised, just like a kid would go to their dad and sit on his lap or say, Dad, you promised. We can hold God to his promises. He says he's coming back to make all things right and new. We can pray that now. But he also says a lot of other things. So we can, we can live in that relationship. Number three, lament is, the pathway, is a pathway to intimacy with God. We can lay every emotion down before God. We can have this direct conversation with him. And it doesn't always have to be doting on God. Like we praise God for all his, 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 his goodness, his greatness. We are called in our prayers to praise God and to install him. But we also can come to God with raw emotions. And our Psalms, like I said, come with more raw emotions of lament than they come with exaltation. So there's something about lament that allows us to have this, that just allows us to have this intimate access to God. I love this statement. This is from Pacquiam. He says, by laying every emotion and every experience before Yahweh, the Lord, the, their, the, their covenant God, the psalmists and the poets of the Old Testament were reinforcing a bond of intimacy, affirming an attachment. Just as God made a covenant with Abraham by the breaking apart of animals, so Israel embodied the bond of the covenant by breaking open their hearts before God. And I love this. It says, the Torah was organized into five books of God's instruction, his word to his people. The Psalms are organized into five books, guiding us how to answer God, how to be in dialogue with God. The God who speaks calls us into relationship. Lament is one of the ways we respond. Number four, this is Danny's edition. Lament is an acknowledgement of the evil, sin, and brokenness in the world. Our sin that we've done, that we've sinned against God and we've sinned against others, we lament that. We don't want to be like that. I don't want to be that person, but unfortunately I am. It's a way to come to God and say, I'm sorry, God, and, and learn how to deal with the sinfulness in our own hearts and the ways that we hurt God and hurt others. And well, we sin against God and we hurt others. We sin against others. It's also a way to deal with the sins that others have done toward us that directly affect us. It's not saying that, it's not saying, lament isn't saying that their sin is good. Yes, we forgive them, but we're not saying when people do grievous sins against us, God hates those sins. Jesus died on the cross, so those sins will never happen again. But at the same time, we can live in this, this reality that people sin against us, and we, ha we have to do something with it. And then the corporate sin of the world by the works of the devil, causing lots of people to come together and sin. There's been lots of corporate sin in the world. I went online yesterday and just looked at all the wars and conflicts and how many people have died. And obviously the two big ones right now are Ukraine and, and in Israel and Gaza, but you know there's like 
10 other major ones where over 100,000 people have died. And you know where one of the worst ones is? In Mexico, the drug war. I, I was staggered. I was like, I can't even believe it. I mean, literally, a couple hundred miles, dozen miles from America is one of the worst existing wars right now between the, the drug cartels and the, and the Mexican government. Hundreds of thousands of people have died. Those people are crying out, God, be with us. Where are you? All of these things, whether it's sin that we've done, sin that others have done against us, or the corporate sin in the world that sometimes we're a part of and sometimes we're fighting, that we're hoping to always be fighting, but unfortunately the church and us as individuals, we, we get caught up in the, the brokenness of the world and the sin of the world. So lament is a way for us to acknowledge the evil sin and brokenness in the world and to properly deal with it and to plea with God for help and encouragement. I love Romans chapter 8. Right in the middle, a little toward the end, it says this. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Now here's the part I want you to really hone in on. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. The Holy Spirit is groaning because the world is broken too. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Right after this is the verse we all love, right? And it's an amazing verse. But let's not forget what comes right before Romans 8, 28. The Spirit's interceding for us with wordless groans. Um, there's a quote. Go, go to the quote by N.T. Wright. It's, I accidentally put it in the wrong plate, section. It says, when we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, Want it up there. When we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, which is all of us who call on the name of Jesus, then somehow God is praying within us for the pain around us. It's pretty amazing. Let's keep going. Lament, this is also from Danny. This is one of my additions. Lament helps us see ourselves and God in our proper places. Sixty years ago, C.S. Lewis wrote an essay called God in the Dock. And what he, a dock is in a courtroom. So in a courtroom, the judge is on the bench, you know, and the person is in the dock. So it'd be like, the dock is that little stand, which would be like down here, and the judge is up there. And he wrote this essay. He's like, modern people put God in the dock. We're the judge. We don't like what God's doing. God, you got to change. God, through all human history, 
humans were always in the dock and God was the judge, but for some reason, modern people want to put God on trial. And lament is a way to properly order ourselves. And remember that God is still the judge, but we can still plea with him. It's not, lament isn't us flipping it. And now we're telling God what, how he should act and what he should do in the wrong way. But lament is the way that we can reorder our lives and, and put everything in its proper place. And we can say, God, I trust you. You are just, you are loving, you are merciful, but the world is broken and these things are happening and they don't make sense to me, so I'm crying out. So lament allows us to put things in its proper place, but also at the same time not believe the lies that we need to force God into not being ju judge anymore and not being just, and we're, we all of a sudden become God. The modern idolatry tendency is for us to make our, what we think is what God should do, like we become God. Actually, the average modern person in America and Europe, they're like, well, I believe a little of this and a little of that and a little of this. I don't, what they're doing is saying, I'm, I'm God. What, I, what goes through my head at this age of my life, even though the, the person who does this, that say they're 40, they don't even believe half the things they believed at 30. They've changed their opinions on lots of things. So what's to say the 60 year old version of themselves won't believe a lot of the things they said at 40. But we want to put God in the dock and say, we know better than him. But he's given us his spirit, and he's given us his church, and he's given us his word. This doesn't mean we don't wrestle with the scriptures. Again, I said our whole faith is a, is a, is a tension, is a paradox, is, is Jesus has come, but he's coming again. So lament helps us see God in his proper place and see us in our proper place, but have a proper place to really cry out and say, God, you said things shouldn't be like this, but they are like this. What's going on? Lament, number six, lament is a prayer to God to act. Lament is an acknowledgement of God's patience, his goodness, his righteousness, and his justice. Lament in the Bible is not simply an outlet for our frustration. It's an opportunity to say, God, hear me. In the word Shema, which basically says hear, listen, spoken to people crying out for God 79 times in the Psalms. They're like, hear us, God, hear us, God. In the New Testament, does, Jesus invites us to say, God, listen, hear, on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray that, we're trying to say, God, hear me. Like, it's not. Earth isn't like heaven. Please, make it like heaven. Paul, in his epistles, his prayers were not the preamble, but the premise for his whole letter, embodying his theology and ethics in his doxology. In fact, for Paul... Prayer is one of the ways God is acting. Seven, lament is participation in the pain of others. When you read the newspaper, you may not be suffering like those folks. You might be. But when, if we go through the Psalms, if you read through the Psalms, you're going to learn, you're going to be like, this doesn't relate to me. But some, it relates to a lot of our brothers and sisters around the world. And we get to enter in. Jesus himself prays the words of Psalm 22, which was also the prayer of Jewish martyrs in the first century as they would be killed by the Roman government. 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a psalm of lament. Jesus dying the vile, this is from Pacium. Jesus dying the vile and shameful death on the cross, prayed in solidarity with the suffering. Indeed, his death was the ultimate prayer of solidarity. And every prayer of lament which we offer is another amen to God. So those are seven ways we can think about lament. Now, what is lamentations? Where does it fit into the big picture? What is the lament? This is an explanation of lamentations. It says, the book of lamentations, I'm going to put this up on the screen, is a collection of funeral poems offered on behalf of Jerusalem after its destruction by Babylon. Now, keep, keep this up. You're going, to be like, you're going to go home to your families and be like, what did you guys learn about in church today for New Year's Eve? And you're going to be like, my pastor read a, a collection of 3,000-year-old funeral poems about a people who just got desolated because of their sin. And God allowed Babylon to come in and conquer them because they were unfaithful to the covenant. He, had this, he told them that this would happen. He gave them years and years, hundreds of years to turn back. And they continued to sin and continued to turn against God. Despite its bleak subject matter, limitations, it offers a biblical view of how humans can respond to God in their grief and distress. Hope is found through the complicated process of lament, a process that leads to true intimacy with God who hears the cries of the people. Let's just briefly look at this lament. In chapter one, I'm not going to put, this won't be on the screen. I just want you to hear it. Starts off the poet. It's probably Jeremiah, but we don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a Hebrew poet who wrote Lamentations. Church history, a lot of people have linked it to Jeremiah. It's not, there's no title author, but we know that it's someone from the time who's living at the time when Jerusalem's being sieged and then gets carried into exile. Jerusalem, what's once so full of people, is now deserted. She who was once great among the nations now sits alone like a widow. Once the queen of the earth, she is now a slave. She sobs through the night. Tears stream down her cheeks. The roads to Jerusalem are in mourning, for crowds no longer come to celebrate the festivals. The city gates are silent. Her priests groan. Her young women are crying. How bitter is her fate. In the second poem, it says this, The Lord in his anger has cast a dark shadow over beautiful Jerusalem. The Lord has shown no mercy even to his temple. And then chapter 3 is actually commonly read at New Year's Eve services, right? If I were to say Lamentations, everyone knows which verse. Great is your faithfulness, right? Because, so that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. It's, it's the center, the centerpiece of the poem is chapter 3. Where we're acknowledging, the poet is acknowledging, he's lamenting that their sin caused this to happen. But God's faithfulness, it says in verse 22, or verse 21, it says, Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never seek. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. So whether the sin is from other people, this this sin and this lament poem is their own fault. All these things happen because of their own sin. 
and they're crying out. And they're like, God, please change our circumstances. The poem continues, you know, and it says, Does not the Most High send both calamity and good? And this is complicated. You got to come to this Waypoint Academy theology class and some of the others, and we're going to deal, we deal with this kind of stuff. Like when the Old Testament talks about the perspective of God allowing evil to happen, is God doing it? Is it just they broke the covenant? It's, yes, it's, it's, that's the way it's presented. If, if, but if you read it, there, God is always giving them the opportunity. Prophecy in the Old Testament is not God predicting the future. It's God telling them to stop and repent so that the consequences of their sin won't happen because God is a God of justice and mercy, and he has to be merciful, and he has to be just. The poem goes on, and it, the lament goes on, and it says, Let us lift our hearts and hands to you, God in heaven, and say, We have sinned and rebelled, and you have not forgotten us. You have engulfed us with your anger, chased us down, slaughtered us without mercy. You have hidden yourself with a cl- in a cloud, and our prayers cannot reach you. It goes on, and it says, But I called upon your name, Lord, deep within the pit. And interesting, in Psalm 40, he talks about the pit, but he's, it's a metaphoric pit. Here he's literally in a pit. Like, whether it was Jeremiah or some other key prophet, the Babylonians threw him in a pit <laughs> and tried to, and were throwing stones at him. They basically probably threw him in a well or some, something to, to torture him. And he says, when you heard my cry, listen to my pleading, hear my cry for help. Yes, you came when I called, and you told me, do not fear. Lord, you have come to my defense. You have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong they have done to me. Be my judge and prove me right. So even though God allowed them to do this, God didn't like what they were doing either. God hates sin. God hates evil. Jesus came to die so that that would be eradicated. But we live in this in-between. We live in this tension time. The poem ends, the final lament, and we can put this on the screen in chapter 5, starts with this phrase, Lord, remember what has happened to us. See how we have been disgraced. And it goes back and it says, Joy has left our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning. And what's the whole promises of the covenant? That Jerusalem would be a place of dancing and celebration because God would be their God and he would protect them. And they, if they trusted him, he would, it would be continual joy and, and, and trust, not mourning and despair. And then the, the poem ends, the final poem ends with, For Jerusalem is empty and desolate, a place haunted by jackals. But Lord, you remain the same forever. So if we want to learn how to lament well, one thing we could do is acknowledge our sin, acknowledge the sin in the world, acknowledge the sin in the church, but then acknowledge that God is good and He's faithful and He's merciful and just and love. It says, your throne continues from generation to generation, but it's still a lament poem. Why do you continue to forget us? It's okay to acknowledge God's goodness and then also acknowledge that your circumstances aren't that great or that the world's circumstances are not that great. I pray all the time for North Korea. 
I have no idea why God has not intervened in North Korea. The Christians there, uh, the people suffer so much, so much. I, I have no idea why God has not intervened. I just keep praying. I have friends who are directly affected by this. And I know our brothers and sisters suffer greatly. We have people this morning who actually God has allowed to be part of bringing the hope of Jesus Christ there in our service right now. And we praise praise God for them. Let's continue to pray for all these broken places. It says, restore us, O Lord, and bring us back to you again. Give us back the joy we once had. Or have you utterly rejected us? Are you still angry with us? I think it's interesting. It's okay. This is in the Bible. You can end with, see, we're trusting in your faithfulness, God, but the circumstances don't seem like you're honoring your your covenant, even though we failed. Do you see? It's okay to go back and forth with God in the proper way. That's what lament is. All right, how do we practice lament as followers of Jesus? I'll attach these articles so you can read them. I want you to spend time in the Psalms, like, as Christians, we should continually spend time in the Psalms. There were points in my life where I was so sad just because of life circumstances. All I, I couldn't read any other parts of the Bible other than the Psalms. I literally, that's all I could do. See, lament is part of the gospel. It's part of the good news that God knows that the world's broken. Remember what we looked at in Romans 8. It's part of our salvation is acknowledging that the creation is groaning and the Spirit's groaning with us. When we read, we're going to read the Gospels as a church for 90 days and do a Bible reading plan that actually literally ends on Easter Sunday. When you read the Gospels, see the brokenness, see the crying out of Jesus himself, and see the hope. Waypoint Academy, take Erica's um, spiritual disciplines class. Learn, learn more about lament and how it fits in, how it's a spiritual discipline. The prayer gatherings that we have here at Waypoint, the Sunday morning prayer. Actually practice writing laments. Like learn, we, that's one of the things that we did in, in the spiritual disciplines class. Remember this, this quote from Augustine. God's way of reshaping our desires and perceptions, that the Psalms are God's way so that we learn to lament in the right things and take joy in the right things. Lament, this is from Pacquiam, lament is not our final prayer. It's a prayer in the meantime. Most of the lament psalms end with a vow to praise, a promise for return to thanksgiving, return thanksgiving to God for his deliverance. Because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, we know that sorrow is not how the story ends. The song may, um, when it, the, it ends when every tear is wiped away, when death is swallowed up by victory. When heaven and earth are made new and joined as one, when the saints rise in glorious bodies, and then we'll all sing hallelujah. But for now, we lift our lament to God as we wait with hope. And we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and may 2024 be a year of learning to lament in the right things and learning how to take joy in the right things. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. I thank you for lament. That you didn't leave us with our grief and our sin, but you gave us a way 
to truly approach your throne. And, and you gave us your spirits that's groaning with us as we ask you, how do we live each day? Live in lament, live in joy. And we give you all the praise. And we pray that 2024 would be a year that we would just all trust you and trust you in the good times and trust you in the hard times. And we would be your church together, lifting each other up, encouraging each other. And we just, we thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Amen. Amen. Amen.